Section five of the American Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The American Egypt by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tabor Frost. Section five. Yucatan and her history it has ever been the fate of yucatan to be misunderstood her very christening was the result of a misunderstanding accounts vary as to the exact place and time and as to the mayan words used but there seems little doubt that it was cortez's first question of the indians who had gathered on the beach when he landed in fifteen seventeen that settled the matter he naturally asked what they called their country and they as naturally not understanding a single syllable returned matan kaubadan tectetan or some such words we do not understand which were promptly taken by the invaders to be the country's name and corrupted into yucatan bishop lander in his relation de las cosas de yucatan fifteen fifty six credits cordoba with the christening and says the incident took place at cape katosh varying the indian reply as kiuthan meaning how well they speak but fifteen years earlier christopher columbus had blundered worse for he had declared yucatan an island and the sight of a richly laden canoe had persuaded the sanguine spaniard that he had reached el dorado at last hence yucatan's early name among the spanish of Ilarica how bitterly the brave spanish pioneers paid for this error laying down their lives by scores to win a country which was all limestone bluffs and dense rank forests will be outlined directly in the brief account we must give of montejo's ill-fated expeditions here it is enough to say that as soon as the land's barrenness was known spain's great captains turned their backs on it thereafter for centuries yucatan passed through a series of misunderstandings political and otherwise in her tangled woods and on her bare sun-baked limestone hills central american civilization had it is now known reached its apogee but more than three hundred years were to pass before the peninsula reached its archaeological apotheosis ignorant and bigoted spaniards intent on serving the interests of that ecclesiastical institution which the late professor huxley once termed the bloody wolf of rome swept away temples and palaces broke to pieces statues and idols built bonfires with bark writings and sacred books each of which to-day the trustees of the british museum would probably regard as cheap at a thousand guineas murdered pillaged and destroyed everybody everything everywhere so that while avaricious spanish eyes were turned toward the glittering temples of moctezuma's capital and the gold mines of mexico palonque and chichen itza Uxmal and piedras negras lay crumbling and forgotten in their forests yucatan passed into a backwater of history the ancient analysts referred to her briefly or not at all the modern encyclopedia usually deals with her claims for notice laconically thus yucatan see under mexico 
probably not fifteen per cent of englishmen could tell you off-hand her exact geographical position and of those fifteen per cent there would be few whose knowledge extends beyond a vague memory from school days that she is physically a peninsula and that the rattlesnake the tapir and the giant crested lizard the iguana haunt her forests and what wonder porfirio diaz sphinx-faced granite-hearted who for thirty years has been dictator of mexico wielding a power as autocratic as that of the Tsar. he too if reports are credible knew little of the easternmost portion of his realm till a year or two ago yucatan's governor ambitious of presidential patronage and faithfully forgetful of the fable of king stork begged the republican monarch to let the light of his countenance shine for a while on his yucatecan lieges and no sooner was it announced that the great diaz would go than he received countless letters some anonymous some from governors of other states warning imploring declaring the yucatecans to be little better than savages and cutthroats that the inestimable presidential life would be not worth a moment's purchase when he landed at progresso evidently his subjects knew as little of yucatan as did their ruler president diaz went he saw and he was staggered instead of the uncouth band of savage rancheros armed to the teeth he found a community of cyberites among whom the only difficulty was to find a man who was not a millionaire or the son of one instead of a fever-haunted poverty-stricken one-horse town he found the very loyal and noble city of merida a paris in miniature for vivacity and luxury as they passed within the gates of one great hacienda or farm the gardens lit with myriads of colored lights madame diaz clapped her hands and cried out gleefully look porfirio surely we have never seen anything so lovely well might she so say for that particular haciendado had lavished sixty thousand mexican dollars about six thousand pounds to dazzle the presidential eyes for one short evening but merida is not yucatan and the hanequin millionaires of merida strained every nerve and even their fortunatus purses to prevent their shrewd ruler from seeing beneath the surface the social rottenness of the country of the amazing and amusing efforts they made to throw dust in those terrible eyes we shall have something to say later what the president saw we have seen the almost boundless wealth of merida and the symbiotic life led by the haciendados but we have seen more we have seen the real yucatan for months we have wandered in her wilds we have shared the huts with the indians we have slung our hammocks in the forests we have slept in the palm thatched cabins of the woodcutters we have lived the fisherman's life on the islets of the east coast round which in the days of cordoba and cortez cruised fleets of canoes fruit and corn laden the primary reason for our trip was archaeological exploration but the interest which this volume must have as containing descriptions of those wondrous ruins which have earned for yucatan the title of the egypt of the new world will be we believe enhanced by that insight which we are enabled to give into the social state of a country which for nearly all is a terra incognita 
and now for a little history it was on the 30th of july 1502 that christopher columbus near the island of guanaja in the gulf of honduras met a canoe paddled by twenty-five indians and carrying as many women and a cargo of fruits cotton cloths copper hatchets and pottery the men wore loincloths and the women were modestly draped in mantles of cotton by signs the great spaniard gathered that they came from a rich land to the westward such is the first knowledge the white world had of yucatan four years later juan diaz de solas and vincente yanez pizon sailed for guanaja intent on completing the discoveries of columbus reaching guanaja they steered westward and discovered the east coast of yucatan convincing themselves that it was an island but making no landing on the twentieth of may fifteen o six columbus a victim of injustice and neglect ended his splendid career in sadly lonely surroundings at Villadolid. his two successors in the pioneer work of yucatan's discovery came to untimely ends yanez pinzon dying in spain a year later while diaz de solis was eaten by the indians of rio de la plata in fifteen eleven more by bad luck than good management the spaniards came again into contact with yucatan nunez de balboa alcalde of darion dispatched one valdivia in a caravel to haiti for provisions and reinforcements when nearing jamaica the ship was wrecked on the alacranes reef and the spaniards to the number of twenty took to the boats seven died of starvation and the rest after days of exposure were washed on to the eastern coast of yucatan here though they were warmly welcomed it can scarcely be said that the reception accorded to them was one which they appreciated the indians making a feast day of their arrival swarmed down on the beach and insisted on their coming at once to the village where it is sad to relate those who had been unlucky enough to preserve a little adipose tissue in spite of the hardships they had endured were accorded the honour of becoming the pièce de résistance at the banquet which the chief had commanded to celebrate their arrival the less plump ones were enclosed in glorified chicken coops where they were fattened with succulent viands until such a time as the chief should be disposed to put his lips to them unwilling to await this distinction the unfortunate spaniards found an opportunity one night of breaking the bars of the coop and taking to the woods several died of exposure but a few struggled through to the territory of a neighboring cacique who appears to have been more of a vegetarian he rejoiced in the name of hakin coots the spanish fugitives for some reason or other perhaps because they made praiseworthy efforts to pronounce his name were taken into his service and well treated though an eight-hour day does not appear to have been part of hakim coots's program as joshua he said let them live but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto my people under this system all died but two gonzalo guerrero a swashbuckling soldier as his name suggests and geronimo de aguila 
a young priest guerrero one can picture him the thorough captain of industry cynical fearless taking his pleasure where he could took to his new life like a duck to water fell in love with a mayan girl stripped off his clothes in favor of a loincloth painted his body and decorated his nose and ears with stone rings winding up with a very decent imitation of reverence for the stone gods who had it all their own way in hakim coots's kingdom but aguilar was an idealist and though true to his church's teaching casuist enough to keep on the right side of hakim coots he treasured a hope of some day somehow returning to spain and its catholic joys with a view to hastening this consummation he so devoutly wished he took the saints into his confidence and satisfied of their assistance promised at all costs to preserve that chastity which is believed by the credulous to be still as it doubtless always has been the brightest jewel in the crown of the catholic priesthood aguilar's misogynistic tendencies do not seem to have much troubled hakim coots but his successor Ame, was distinctly uxorious and in addition appears to have been something of a humorist aguilar's lack of appreciation of his maidens worried him somewhat and he determined to find out whether it was the lack of opportunity or the lack of taste when the young priest was not cutting wood or drawing water he was sent out fishing going overnight to the coast and sleeping on the beach till dawn when the fish were feeding one day Ame ordered him to the coast but as a mark of his favor told him to take as his companion a very beautiful girl of fourteen to whom the cunning cacique gave instructions that she was to fish for aguilar while he poor innocent was seeking his lord's breakfast aguilar did not much care for his girl comrade but he did not dare to refuse so off they started the chief first loading his faithful servant with warm garments for the night journey and a sort of en tout cas bedspread as the coast was not far distant and the travellers had not much to say to each other they got over the ground so quickly that the night was not far spent when they reached aguilar's fishing pitch seeing his companion was sleepy he gallantly made a bed for her in the woods with the wraps Arme had so thoughtfully provided and then went off to the beach and lay down on the sand but the temptations of st anthony were not in it with those to which that indian minx subjected the young priest till dawn and thus it is the more gratifying to learn that he was able to keep his arrangement with the saints whereby he passed into the highest favour with arme who poor weak mortal that he was was convinced that aguilar was a very exceptional young man this is a spanish story and must be taken with a pinch of salt but to return to more serious history undeterred by their predecessors misfortunes the spanish undertook a third expedition to yucatan on the eighth of february fifteen seventeen francis hernandez de cordoba with one hundred and ten soldiers and three ships sailed from cuba and on the twentieth day sighted an island on their approach five large canoes put off signs of friendship prevailed on some thirty of the indians to come on board cordova's ships 
and there such amicable relations were established that the Spaniards landed, finding to their surprise every sign of a considerable civilization. For the first time, Europeans saw stone buildings in America. In the temple, approached by well-laid steps, they saw incense being burnt in front of stone and wooden idols, while files of women ministrants chanted near the altars. Hence Cordoba christened the island Isla de Mujeres, Isle of Women. Another version has it that the Spaniards found gigantic female figures of stone at the south end of the island, but our careful search of the island and a consultation of its records do not support this version. Thence he sailed to the most northerly point of Yucatan, where he was welcomed by the chief, who came out with his people in twelve canoes and repeatedly exclaimed, Conex Kukotoch, come to our town, which the Spaniards believed the name of the place, hence Cape Katosh, as the point is still called. The Spaniards, led by the treacherous cacique, landed, and were soon attacked in a thick wood by a body of Indians armed with stone axes, bows, and lances of wood, hardened by fire. Their faces and bodies painted, wearing on their arms an armour of plaited cotton, beating a war-tune on turtle-shells and blowing horns of conch-shells. Cordoba lost twenty men, and many of the Indians were killed. Returning to their ships, the Spaniards sailed on to a point where, at the mouth of the river, was a large Indian town called by the natives Kimpech, the modern Campeche. Farther on, a disastrous fight took place which ended in the loss of fifty Spaniards and the retreat of Cordoba. He himself received twelve arrow wounds, and but one soldier escaped unhurt. Within ten days of his reaching Havana, Cordoba died of his wounds. This signal disaster did not, however, deter enterprising Spaniards from looking longingly towards the veritable will-o'-the-wisp, La Isla Rica. In 1518, an expedition led by Juan de Grijalva sailed from Matanzas. This resulted in the discovery of the island of Cozumel, and a fairly complete reconnaissance of the coastline of Yucatan. A third expedition, commanded by the great Cortes, left Cuba on the 18th of February, 1519, made first for Cozumel, and thence, cruising round the northeast coast, the Spaniards continued their voyage as far as what is today the city of Veracruz, where the glittering promise of Mexico once and for all removed the great Spanish captain from Yucatecan history. But in Cortez's suite was one Francisco Montejo, a gentleman of Seville. To him, on the 8th of December, 1526, a grant was made for the conquest of the islands of Yucatan and Cozumel. Fitting out a small armada, he sailed from Seville in May, 1527, with 360 troops. He made first for Cozumel, where he landed in September of that year, establishing friendly relations with the chief, Naumpat. Thence taking with him an Indian guide, he sailed to the east coast. With bombastic prematureness, the royal standard was planted on the beach, and amid cries of, Viva España, the whole country claimed for the king of Spain. 
but montejo was merely beginning his troubles a disastrous march through the dense pathless bush his troops footsore and fever-stricken hunger and thirst their constant comrades ended in a battle in which with fearful losses the invaders barely held their own a retreat followed but undismayed in fifteen twenty eight montejo with the remnant of his army marched on chichen itza the old chroniclers contradict one another as to this expedition to chichen we believe montejo made but one though time would allow for two visits and two temporary settlements there as some writers believe in the metropolis of the itza tribe a friendly reception at first was accorded him but he unwisely divided his forces by dispatching his captain alonzo davila with some foot and horse to the westward thus weakened he was soon driven out of chichen and forced to the sea at campeche davila fared no better arrived in the dominions of a neighboring cacique his request for provisions was fiercely answered by the latter who said he would send them fowls on spears and maize on arrows after two years of weary struggle with hunger and fever harassed the while by indians davila rejoined his chief at campeche nothing had been achieved yucatan was still unconquered montejo now returned to cuba for reinforcements and thus heartened he made an attack on tabasco leaving a few spanish at campeche these few weakened by privations were after some years reduced to an effective force of five only the camp was abandoned gonzalez nieto who had planted the flag amid such bombastic shoutings on the eastern beach nine years earlier was the last to leave in fifteen thirty five not a single spaniard remained in yucatan two years later montejo whose attempt on tabasco had signally failed returned to the attack landing at champotong where once more the spanish flag was raised the indians grown shrewd left the heat and general malaria to do their skirmishing and when montejo's camp had become a hospital a pitched battle all but drove the spaniards into the sea worse than this the rumors of the wealth of peru and mexico of the dazzling conquests of cortez and pizarro caused desertions for the poverty of yucatan had now become notorious and one by one montejo's men slunk off nineteen stalwarts at last were all that were left at champoton montejo sent his son to cuba with urgent requests for relief in fifteen thirty nine stores and men arrived and montejo distrusting his own fortune placed the conquest of yucatan in his son's hands the latter marched out from champoton gave battle to the indians and completely routed them advancing into the land in one day three fights took place the indian dead being so numerous that they literally obstructed the roadway after a march of many months during which his troops suffered incredible hardships and fought their way almost league by league montejo reached the great city of tihu early in fifteen forty one a preliminary victory ensured the invaders some months of peace but the clouds were gathering the caciques formed a confederation 
and on the 11th of June a final battle took place Little reliance can be placed on the figures, but if they are anywhere near the truth the pious historian Father Cogoyudo of the Franciscan friars may be forgiven for exclaiming in an ecstasy of faith Divine power works more than human valor For the Spanish mustered but 200 while the Indians it is alleged were 70,000 strong Be that as it may the Spanish firearms won the day and the 6th of January 1542 saw the formal founding of the city of Merida built out of the stones and on the ruined sites of Tihu the Indians never rallied and the brutal work of enslaving them was thenceforth to be pursued with few interruptions in 1561 French pirates attacked Campeche and entered Merida and in 1575 English buccaneers sacked the city forced to withdraw they renewed their attack in 1606 but unsuccessfully in 1632 the Dutch appeared on the scene and two years later British pirates made a descent on the coast For the next half century Yucatan was the prey of pirates and Merida was attacked again in 1684 Meanwhile the country had been constituted a Spanish province under a captain-general a See of Merida was created and Spanish towns built on the ruins of the Indian pueblos the internal history of the peninsula from 1684 during the next century and a half is a story of Spanish cruelty and bigotry of Franciscan arrogance and vandalism The Spanish settlers not content with the conquest and enslaving of the Indians Busied themselves in the destruction of everything buildings books statues which had to do with the earlier days towns were built on the ruins of Indian villages large churches the majority now in ruins were constructed for the most part out of the stones of indian palaces and the great haciendas were formed and worked by gangs of miserable natives whose spirit was broken in 1824 yucatan which had borne its fair share of the war of independence against spain of the previous year became a federal state Amicable relations with Mexico were interrupted in 1829 and again in 1840 when heavy taxation brought about an armed revolt In the June of the latter year the rebels drove the federal forces out of Yucatecan territory and Independence was declared in 1843 General Santa Anna the head of Mexico by a successful campaign forced Yucatan into the Federation once more in 1847 a serious Indian revolt occurred and this was not suppressed until 1853 when a treaty of peace was signed granting autonomy to the Indians of the East a year later trouble broke out again but in 1860 an army 3,000 strong attacked and captured Chan Santa Cruz the Indian capital the town was almost at once however retaken by the natives with a loss of 1,500 whites and until 1901 it remained in the hands of the Mayans of the war which was then declared against these stalwarts of the injustice of its inception and of the barbarous methods now being employed against them we shall speak later
the mexican government have done their best to hide from the outside world what exactly is happening in the far eastern yucatan but despite official discouragement we penetrated the district and are in a position to tell the whole story as the authentic history of yucatan previous to the conquest it might almost be written as succinctly as in the famous chapter snakes in iceland there is none even its ancient name is in dispute for there is little doubt it was maya columbus is the first to record that name for the first half century or so after the founding of merida the spanish vandals were far too busy in their ruthless christian zeal with the destruction of the mayan towns and palaces with the butchering of men and the outraging of women to give much thought to the past of the unfortunate race which they were bent on degrading and enslaving bishop lander one of the earliest of the catholic bishops of yucatan bears terrible evidence on this point the indian chiefs were burnt alive in many instances women after outrage and gross and filthy indignities were hanged their babies being hanged on their feet thus making gibbets of their mother's bodies lander says that there is no doubt that until his countrymen arrived chastity was dearly prized among the mayans death being the penalty for both young man and maiden proved unchaste before marriage today maya morality in all towns and centers where the indians are in contact or have long been in contact with the whites is loose in the extreme prostitution is terribly common practically universal when towards the end of the sixteenth century the task of collecting historical data was undertaken naturally enough the indians consulted had little to give but a hotchpotch of tradition and legend with an alacrity positively suspicious the so-called books of chilembalam cropped up in all directions each important township had one of these almost worthless compilations based on the musty memories of garrulous old mayans who thus sought to ingratiate themselves with the domineering franciscan friars the mayan hieroglyphics were as they still are undecipherable the temple records and picture writings had been burnt and the oldest indian assisting at the manufacture of these tradition books must have been in long clothes or the mayan equivalent when cortez landed yet this lack of credibility has not prevented many who have labored earnestly and long in the field of mayan archaeology from spoiling their work by plunging into the muddied tideway of date and legend and emerging convinced of much of which there is not a tittle of real evidence most of the tradition books agree in ascribing central american civilization to the toltec nation and toltec has become the rallying cry the shibboleth of those who struggle to unravel the past of central america learned professors from berlin and dresden enthusiastic young men from harvard and other american universities foreign and native writers and students clamber or tumble headlong over the toltec fence with the perverse persistence of the national school child whose memory of dates is restricted to william the conqueror 1066 at which moment its infantile mind supposes england london the tower the zoo and madame tussauds to have come into instant being 
So, 648 A.D., Toltecs arrived at Tula, or Tulapan. Crops up in everything these good people write. King Charles I's head never worried Mr. Dick half as much as the Toltec bogey worries them. Where Tula or Tulapan was, is, or ever has been, where the Toltecs sprang from, what ethnical affinities they possessed, whether they were kin to those affiliated tribes which have most certainly inhabited the Americas since prehistoric times, how they came to have cut-and-dried building specifications in what were equivalent to their breeches' pockets, they never stopped to tell us. One professor glibly remarks, assuming his Toltec premise, while this, the Toltec, race was still quite at a low stage of civilization, the Aztecs advanced out of the north from at least 26 degrees north latitude. No conjurer ever produced rabbit from silk hat with more assurance than the professor produces the Aztecs out of the north. That, at least, is distinctly precious. Was ever such begging of the question? The Aztecs were builders, too? Where did they get their knowledge? They certainly would have difficulty to find a hint of it in the vast North American continent. The truth is that, stripped of all nonsensical fetish worship, there is not an iota of real evidence for this Toltec theory. No Toltec nationality ever existed, and the explanation of that civilization, which differentiates the Mayan peoples and their Aztec neighbors from the natives of the rest of the Americas, is to be sought, as we endeavor to demonstrate in Chapter 15, in an altogether different direction. Well, then, we have no real pre-conquest history. All that seems certain is that in yucatan no kinship in the true sense existed the land was ruled by caciques chiefs each the head of a tribe or tribal family as is natural in such a regime the predominating power was not always in the same hands about fourteen thirty six bishop lander writing in fifteen fifty six gives the date and this agrees with native tradition the tyranny of the cocomes who ruled over the city of Mayapan, caused a rebellious confederation of lesser caciques, which ended in the overthrow of the Concomes family and the destruction of Mayapan. This, the great event of the more recent pre-Spanish history of Yucatan, was followed by the uprise of the chief of Chichen Itza, who thenceforward, till the conquest, maintained predominance. These, the only dates upon which reliance can be placed, fit in well with the date which we are inclined to assign to the superb ruins of Chichen, which we describe in detail in a later chapter. End of section 5